Welcome to Belkin's Growth Podcast, hosted by Michael Maximoff, co-founder and managing partner at Belkin's. Today's guest is Colin Campbell, a director of marketing for Sales Hacker. Sales Hacker is the leading community for the next generation of salespeople. Michael and Colin talk about how to host a webinar with Sales Hacker, why Outreach.io has the highest adoption rate and content distribution tips for LinkedIn marketing. Enjoy listening. Colin, I had a pleasure talking with uh, your head of content for, for the sales hacker, Catherine Aragon. We actually talked extensively about the content. So having you on the call, uh, I actually wanted to chat more about actual marketing behind the content and the way you guys distribute the content and about sales. Because something that I didn't discuss with Catherine was uh, the sales. And she mentioned that you primarily focus on, on kind of partnership content, like webinars with partners, and that this is the main way you guys are making money. Is that about right? Yep. We make money when people sponsor webinars. But the way we approach the sponsored content is actually more or less the same as the way we approach unsponsored content. Like Just because you paid us to publish something or host a webinar with you doesn't mean that the content can suck. <laughs> right. Uh, we hold really high standards. Yeah. And how does it work? So we approach you to set up a webinar or something. We select the topic for the webinar, the agenda. So can you kind of tell me more about how does it work in general? Yeah, sure. So a lot of people sign up because we're owned by Outreach. A lot of our sponsorships with partnerships with Outreach. So for example, one way that that would happen is if you sponsored Outreach's Unleash event, which uh, this year is in early April, I believe, or in 2020 is in early April, your sponsorship, your booth Unleash w- might come with uh, some extra packages, webinars or content or podcast sponsorship right. for Sales Hacker. So we use it as a way to make partnerships with Outreach even more attractive. Understood. Okay. We actually are using Outreach extensively for our SDR team, actually. And, uh, you know, there are quite a few tools in this space that are very similar to the Outreach. What would you say why the Outreach is different? Why the Outreach is more attractive for medium-sized businesses than than other tools out there? You know what? I don't know if I'm even the right person to ask. One of the things I really like about being owned by Outreach is that we still operate relatively separately. I know that one of the things that we hear back often, even though I don't work directly on the outreach product or the outreach marketing team, one of the things I hear often is that outreach users have the highest rate of adoption of the tool compared to any of our competitors or even some of the more adopted other you know, sales tools like even Salesforce. We have better adoption. And we also have like incredibly low churn on the product too. So like I really think it just comes down to how useful and how well designed and well thought out the product really is. If it's okay me asking, well, what's the charge sure. rate right now? I don't know off the top of my head. Is it yeah, more sorry. than 15%, 10%? It's very, very low. It's, it's like very, unnaturally very low. low. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Catherine and I talked more about the, the content, right? And I know that I actually been, you know, I'm a, kind of a regular reader for Sales Hacker as well as I'm following your podcast that you are hosting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So what's, what's the difference between the webinar and the podcast? Because in a way, it's very similar from the content perspective. But what's your take on it? 
There is some similarities. Yeah. I think the biggest difference is that our podcast is run by Sam Jacobs. And Sam, if you or any of your listeners haven't listened to the podcast, Sam is probably the best podcast host that I've ever heard. Like he's up there with some of the podcasts that I listen to, like Radio Lab or Freakonomics. He's just so smart and articulate and he has amazing conversations. So I think that when I listen to the podcast, and the other thing about Sam is that he has a bulletproof, I mean, truly incredible network. And so the guests, the caliber of the guest on the podcast is really, really high. Like you don't get to hear really intimate interviews with Mark Roberge every day or Chris Voss, you know, some of the people who really have set the tone for modern sales. And he knows those people. And so he gets to bring them on and then actually hold conversations with them at a level that's incredibly high and high quality. On the webinars, we try to do something different and we try to focus on actionable insights for reps, for sales leaders, for sales operations. And it's less so about you know modeling or finding out about the career path or experience of our guests right. and more about them teaching something that they know to the audience. People come to our webinars to learn something new that they can do differently starting today right. to make their sales process or their sales skills better. So would you say that the podcast as a type of content is more entertainment, right? So people are listening for the pleasure or to kind of to entertain themselves and the webinar are more kind of educative type of content. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of the way I think about it. I try to think about them both as being entertaining but also, you know, highly educational. I think the podcast is definitely more inspirational and motivational because a lot of the things that there are, you know, actionable insights and tips and tricks you can take away from the podcast, right. but a lot of the things that are covered are things that would you would, would shape your career trajectory over the long mm-hmm. term. They're not necessarily things that you can go put into place tomorrow, right. but it's the kind of advice that if you listen to it and adhere to it over a long period of time, it'll vastly improve your career prospects. Right. Interesting. So what's, what's actually the CDA? You know, what's the KPI for the podcast? Do you need to hit a certain number of followers or that people need to click on the link and subscribe for something or purchase a, a book or, or a webinar? Or how does it work in terms of the actual targets, like economic targets for a podcast? I think it's easy to get too focused on metrics and with like a blog, for instance, you've got Google Analytics, there's all right. the metrics in front of you. So you can focus on all those things. With the podcast, you really can't find out that much about how much people listen to it. The feedback and kind of our metric for the podcast is the feedback that we get from listeners. So we don't focus too much on numbers. We know that it's a branding play. We do like to see that people are downloading it more and more, streaming it more and more over time. But we're much more interested in just having the ability to bring great, excellent sales career insights to people in another way. If somebody doesn't want to subscribe to our blog or doesn't want to attend webinars or follow us on YouTube, then they have the ability to uh, get the podcast. How many, so how many listeners just, do you guys have in total right now? So it's hard to say just that, you know, with podcast metrics, as you know, you don't always get like a totally accurate picture of what your listener base looks like, but our podcast has been downloaded 300,000 times so far. It's been about a year and a half. Times. Wow. That's a very good listenership. And, <laughs> it's uh, big and it's still growing. It is big. Yeah. I've hit a similar web uh, plugin on your website and I saw that you have about 200,000 
readers per month for for the sales hacker. Yep, so, that's right. So the podcast is three hundred thousand downloads. Okay, and then what's the most popular platform for the podcast for you? Where people listen to your podcast directly from, I, from the website or mostly iTunes. We do iTunes. put it on the website just because you know we're a community for B2B sales professionals. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are engaging with us, listening to us, reading our content in between meetings at work at their desk. So we wanted the podcast available on the blog, but most people still listen to us, you know, through iTunes or Stitcher or something like that. And right. a lot of the times it's, it's, you know, during their commute. You know, Kelly, one of the things that I wanted to kind of to chat with you about is the actual director of marketing KPIs or targets. Because yeah. when I hired my chief marketing officer, it was kind of challenging for me to have these clear goals for marketing team because they are not in sales per se, right? So they, I cannot say, say you need to target that kind of, hit that kind of target in terms of bringing in new clients. Whereas they also are not kind of in other departments, right? So what we did, we actually set up three different goals. We set up the goal in terms of actual tasks or, or targets in terms of execution of the content, like the certain number of blog posts, the certain number of podcasts or case studies or kind of something that we can measure and then we can know the, the kind of the to-do list. We also have yep. a different kind of goal that is related to actual tasks as a, a number of leads or registration that we need to get, get to the website. And the third one is actual conversion into closed deals. And then now when we see that, okay, do we, once we executed the, the whole kind of list of tasks, is it impact, did it impact the whole kind of the, the conversion into leads and sales? Or do we do, are we doing the right job there, right? So how does the yep. PPI for, for you look in that way? That's a really good framework you guys have. We, we did something really similar. We are a little bit different. We've got a really amazing head of partnerships, Scott Barker. So he owns all the relationships with our partners and he's been doing it for a while. So he really has all of the leads that he could ever need and all the relationships that he could ever need. And uh, we're at a point where more people are asking us to sponsor webinars or, or sponsor the podcast than we can accept. We're very fortunate to have that problem that we need to select carefully the partners that we, that we choose to work with. And that means that I can spend my time focusing on just growing our audience. So as a director of marketing at Sales Hacker, my focus is only really in getting bigger. But we use... Have you heard of the four disciplines of execution? Uh, no. Tell, tell, me, tell a, me more about the four disciplines of the execution. Is it's it? kind of similar to what you were describing. So it kind of seems like you've, you've come up with it, but it's a goal setting and execution framework from Franklin Covey. And um, basically, there's a couple things that you know, I won't go into, but the gist of it is that you pick the thing that if you could only do one thing, it's the thing that you would want to improve. And for us, it's returning visitors. Because we're a community, we want to make sure that people don't just find us, that they find us and then keep coming back and we can help them grow their careers, their sales skills over time. So we look at returning monthly users. We call that our lag measure, lag right? Measure. Because it's not something we can influence directly. It's something that's the outcome of, of other things. For you, it sounds like it's basically revenue or leads. Right. But the lead measures that we mostly look at are organic traffic, still mm-hmm. our biggest acquisition channel email traffic, because that's where most of our return visits come from, from our community and newsletter. 
and also just our total subscribers, right? Like we want to see the people who are actually active, engaged in our subscriber list growing. And do you also measure the recirculation rate or the average number of pages read by the user during one visit or some visit or something like that? Yeah, of course. And we're lucky that we don't see that changing too much, but we do keep an eye on all of those important engagement metrics like bounce rate, pages per session. I really like sessions per user as well because that shows that they're getting use out of something. We have a lot of resources on our site that are the kind of thing you might want to bookmark, like pipeline templates. Let's say you don't have a CRM and you're just starting up. We have pipeline templates. We have email, cold email templates and cold call scripts. The kind of thing that if you're a rep, maybe even a sales manager at a small company, you would bookmark and come back to again and again. Those are the kinds of problems we want to solve. So we, I spend a lot of time looking at uh, increasing sessions per user. And so while talking about the, the different type of contents and, and return users, do you guys thought about monetizing the content, not just with webinars, but also having other kind of content like a paywall or a premium content for premium subscribers, something like that. I mentioned this to Catherine and she said that, well, there was kind of talk there, but we didn't pull the trigger on this one. So what's the, the story behind it? It's not out of the realm of possibility. And we're always, we don't feel like we need to settle on a monetization model and stay with it forever. We're a pretty nimble, small organization. And we know that we can change quickly to suit our user needs which is really what it comes down to. If there right. was a way that we could insert a paywall or monetize the content in another way that would actually make it better for our subscribers or our members, then we would do it. So far, it doesn't seem like we found a way <laughs> that that would actually improve the user experience, so we aren't doing it yet. How do you think about that? Because I know like a lot of recent publications, that's the way they're going. So when you arrive on you know, like fortune.com or one of those websites with a paywall. How does that, how do you think about that as a user? Well, actually, I am originally from, from media publishing business. So I work for like six years for a company dealing with publishers in 75 countries around the world. And, uh, you know, the modern publishers are struggling with monetizing their content because, you know, people don't yeah. want to pay for the content, right? Everything wants to be for free. And, uh, Everyone is just pissed off with the advertising because the advertising mm -hmm. is everywhere. So publishers are looking at different ways to how to make sure that we can get the subscribers, but at the same way, we'll still be kind of some kind of free or that we still can get an audience, right? And also there was like a three to five years ago, there was like a splash of interest for the Facebook and, and Twitter and Reddit and other platforms, social platforms in terms of the readership. But you know, a few years ago, when the Facebook changed the algorithm, a lot of publishers went out of the business for, because of that. So I think that the idea was to come up with the, with the one to five articles for free and then have a paywall, mm -hmm. right? So that you can kind of uh, engage with the user, kind of uh, get something, like show a tip of content, but in the same way, you can grow a readership. I personally think that uh, platforms like Sales Hacker, when you guys are sharing a lot of super useful and interesting insights that are actionable, right? Because right now there are a lot of blogs, a lot of uh, sources that offer a content, which is good, but it's just content for the sake of content. Whereas the actionable content, the actionable data, actionable insights are rather rare nowadays. So when you offer a 
a list of call templates or when you offer tips for a salesperson who just started that they can use, I think that this is something that is very useful. And if I have an access to a kind of a library of some kind of content or the a list of call templates based on the industry or split by the location or based on the market size, different tips, you know, uh, scripts, inbound, outbound methodologies, graphs, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I think that I would subscribe and pay for that kind of content if I receive it, you know, regular yeah. updates on that. Yeah, uh, that's something we hear. Uh, you know, we survey our subscribers and our members every year and we have heard from from several people every year that they would be willing to pay money for what we do and you know one of the one of the conversations we've had at our side is it would actually increase the perceived value of our content if right. we were to charge for it right. or even put a paywall up after five free articles or something similar right. so we do think about that but we are we're so mission driven we really want to make every b2b sales professionals job easier for them. We want to make people better at their jobs. And we still think right for right now, that the best way we can do that is just to leave everything as accessible as possible. And, you know, luckily we have the the revenue stream from the sponsored webinars mm-hmm. that yes, it like if you join a sponsored webinar, you're added to a marketing list or a nurture campaign. But the content of that webinar is worth joining for. Like right. it's like a mini sales training. Um, you're not joining to get a pitch. So I think that's a trade that our audience is still willing to make. And if that allows us to keep all the rest of what we do totally free and ungated and accessible, right now that still feels like the right way for us to go. I I think we're lucky there though. Like we're not like every other publisher. Don't you think that because you aggregate a lot of content and you publish a lot of stuff on a regular basis... Uh, it's sometimes it's difficult for new readers to engage with the content because it's so scattered, you know, so that mm-hmm. you don't know whether for me personally, I would like to get on the website and see a section of the most popular, the most trending, something that is out of this world that I can go to, I can read and I can learn and I can, you know, I think that premium content per se will, will be people will perceive it as a section, which is you need to pay for but you know that this the most quality content is there. So the, the most actionable content is there. Because I personally think that you know there are two different types of, of education. So there is a you know like a more kind of traditional official education, which is converted to online education where you can go to Coursera or Linda or anywhere where you can buy a course and then you can train on the course. And there are a lot of different platforms like sales hackers where you also guys are offering educative content. But Mm -hmm. if I don't put my dollars into that, I usually not think that this is... I think that this is more like, oh, okay, I read it. It's interesting. But I don't per se it as something that I can follow. So if I'm going to be paying for something, then I would say, okay, this is interesting. And I think that a lot of people right now that are super busy, they actually appreciate following sales hacker and having one, two, three con articles per week or per day, which I can quickly read for five, 10 minutes, learn something new and then move forward with my job. And I think yeah. that having more communities like sales hacker about marketing, you know, about development, about operation, hiring people would actually help not just salespeople in general, but also other entrepreneurs and, and business people to advance in what they're doing. 
You're definitely right that you know one of the challenges for somebody who's new to Sales Hacker, uh, at least in the past, was finding out where to start and like where you want to end up. For a long time, we were kind of operated like an encyclopedia, right? Like we would just publish if we knew it was really good and worth reading, we would publish it, and then it was up to the user to go and kind of dig that out of our website. So a lot of that came down to really just like design and user experience. And uh, just in June, we we finished a redesign and relaunch of the website, which does have a few of those features rolled out, and we have plans to improve that more. Like, shout out to Algolia if you don't know them. They're a site search. It's amazing, customizable and personal, personalizable. <laughs> you can personalize the search results. If somebody is an SDR and they come and read sales development content again and again, and then they do a search, you can serve them results that tilt towards their recognized area of interest or maybe even their industry. So that's something we rolled out. And we also do have a section on the site now that has a couple of our best of articles in a few different categories like leadership, research that we've done, uh, sales strategies and tactics. But there's still more work to be done there for sure. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of pieces of content and it's a lot to search through. And uh, one of the things that we are actually working on now is like, if you are a new subscriber in the past, normally you would get a great little welcome email from our founder, Max Altschuler, tell you a little bit about what Sales Hacker is, and you'd basically be in our newsletter, right? You'd just get the same content as everybody else. Now we're building a welcome flow that runs off of a survey. So if you take a little survey, tell us who you are, then everything from there on out is much more segmented for you and personalized for you. We go out of our way to give you some of our best content, some of the things people seem to get the most use out of right up front. So we're trying to decrease time to value and provide more defined user journeys through little features right. like that. But yeah, it's it's a definitely a work in progress for sure. That's interesting approach, by the way. And uh, you know, while you were kind of telling me about this, I was thinking that it's, it's, no, it's very similar to what we built here at Belkins from the perspective of hiring you and training you SDRs, right? Because mm-hmm. when you just started uh, being an SDR or a sales executive, right? You want to have this very clear guide, like step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Yeah. And what we are trying, we are trying to aggregate the content that we are releasing as well as our internal scripts and guidelines to have a library, like a very detailed onboarding checklist with all the steps that person should take. So what I think is that would be really interesting to have that on Sales Hacker. When I started as a sales, and then I have this very detailed, like a, a very basic information, then more advanced, then more sophistication, so on and so forth, and then some tips and, and tool tips and something like that. That should be very interesting. Yeah, I think that almost anybody's learning path can benefit from a little bit more structure. The trick is, especially when you're managing a community of like 135,000 sales professionals, how do you make sure the structure works for as many people as possible without making it so vanilla that it's plain or boring or just not interesting enough? And a lot of that for us comes down to having the right data, which is why we built a survey right into the onboarding. It's an ask, you know, it's one more thing to do for our users, but we really think they'll get a lot of value out of it on the back end. Right, right. Yeah. So, Colin, I appreciate the very interesting approach. And I think that the more data you have, right, the more uh, user-friendly you guys will be and the more targeted the content and more valuable content will be for your readers, right? 
I wanted to also quickly touch base about the role of the content in B2B sales because my company, we specialize in outbound sales. And outbound sales is more actionable type of sales when you just knock at the door, get ahead of your prospects, and then start kind of conversing. And the role of the content in the outbound is very kind of limited comparing to the inbound sales, right? And, and yep. content strategy. While looking at different types of content, like uh, blog posts, case studies, webinars, podcasts, you know, testimonials from clients, different how-to pages, guides, books. Can you structure top three type of content that you feel like will be most beneficial for young entrepreneurs to start with and that, that they are kind of not that budget sensitive, you know, so that yeah. you start yeah. on, on doing from day one. Right. So like, where's the best bang for your buck? If you're a young entrepreneur, where do you start to get short-term gains out of something that's easy to produce? Right. Well, it depends a little bit on your audience, but in, in general, I would say if you're a B2B business and you need to sell to other businesses, the best type of content that you can produce that's the easiest is just LinkedIn posts or even just LinkedIn comments. Like You don't even really need to create your own posts. But if you spend some time on LinkedIn every day, I try to block out half an hour just at the start of every day. And I get on and I look for posts that are interesting to me and I leave comments of my thoughts. I do a couple searches for people who may have interesting content. I connect with them with a personalized message. That over time will have the biggest impact, especially for young entrepreneurs. I guess aside from that, the next best thing you can do is create written content. And did Catherine tell you when you spoke with Catherine, our head of content, she talked to you about like the process she uses to to make sure the written content actually has an impact? She mentioned something briefly, but we didn't get in depth into this. So if if you want to cover that real quick. Sure. Yeah. So the here's like a crash course for anybody who doesn't know how to get results from written content, like in a blog, it's easy to write something and have it do nothing for you. But here's like what you can do, right? So you're having sales conversations. If you're a young entrepreneur, hopefully you're starting, you're the first seller of the business, right? So think about like, what's your prospect's biggest pain point or challenge or question, something they always ask you, go to Google and search that thing. And if there are other people writing about that thing, then that's a good topic for you to write a blog article about. So here's what you do. You go to the first result in Google. You search your question. You go to the first result in Google. You open up that page and you get a piece of paper out and a pen and you go through the page and you make a little checklist. You take kind of an inventory of the topics covered in that page. So you're taking notes of like, what are the subheadings? What are the questions that are answered? What are the tips that are given? And you do that for the first five results on the Google search results page. And then you've got a list, a big inventory of all of the things that people might want to learn when they search that question. That's your outline. So like you can reorder, we can restructure that checklist in a way that makes sense to tell a story. But those are all the things that you should cover when you write your article. Right. And then what you do in terms of the content distribution, where do you post that content? On LinkedIn, your blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, company page, right? I heard yeah. that uh, you can still go and start answering questions on Quora. You know, it's still, yep. you, can, you can start kind of 
but you need to do that systematically because the competition is on quarry is also kind of tough. So some businesses yeah. have been on quarter for for years now, right? Yeah, I personally think that trying to do every distribution channel isn't always worth it because like you say, you might spend 10 hours trying to answer questions on Quora or get your content out there and just have it not be visible. If there's already a bunch of answers to, to similar questions from other thought leaders, maybe they've been up there for years and years and they have more comments or responses or likes. So I would say like play to your strengths. If you have a strong personal network, take your content and ask people one by one to share your article on LinkedIn. Uh, if you've got a big LinkedIn following, definitely publish it on LinkedIn and message people in your network and ask them to comment on your article, share it, like it, react. If you have a big email list, you know, go there first. Don't just send the content out. Ask people to do something with it when you send it to them. Ask them to leave a comment, share it with their network, uh, respond back and tell me a friend that you know that would also appreciate this content right. and then send it to that friend. So just start with you know your own personal strengths. If you try to build a new distribution method from the ground up as an entrepreneur, it's just going to be a time suck. So go go with your strengths first, and then try to build on your weaknesses later. All right, interesting insights. According to LinkedIn algorithm, if I've sent you a message or like say you congrats on the work anniversary or happy birthday or something like that, and you respond to me, and if we are in the connection list then you will see my content first on the page on your newsfeed whenever you brought it. So yep. the algorithm worked that way. So that is why you know, people should be more social on LinkedIn. They need to, you know, to endorse other people's skills, to leave comments, to wish the happy birthday, on the, you know, to congrats on their achievements at work, to be more social and that, that you will be appreciated by the LinkedIn algorithm then. And then the, the, the more content you create, the more people will be engaged with your content. That's just the way it works. Another interesting insight is that whenever you post an article on LinkedIn, never include the external link because then yes. your viewers will go down. So you always need to have a native LinkedIn link. So first you need to post an article and then share that article with your post rather than posting something on your blog and then sharing the blog article. Because then you will, so the viewers will just go down because now the algorithm will not let you go through with your viewership. Absolutely. Those are great tips. The other thing you want to think about is, or there's two things. If you post on LinkedIn and people are commenting, that's awesome. That's the most important thing for the LinkedIn algorithm. They want to see true engagement and conversation on their platform. So if you're LinkedIn, that, that you know, as a platform, people are having conversations, that makes you happy. So when people comment on your posts, at least in the first hour, try to respond to every comment and start more conversations. Ask questions that would require the person to give something other than a yes or no answer. Yeah, that helps a lot. And then the other thing is um, just in general, like LinkedIn is not for selling. If there's one thing to understand for any entrepreneur, if you're the guy or the girl and you connect with someone and pitch them, it will never ever work and it will waste a lot of your time and people right. will hate you. So if you use LinkedIn to learn and you just, when you connect with people say, I genuinely thought this thing you said was really interesting. Can you tell me more about that? And your honest intention is just to learn and share your insights. The good things will come. All of the best things that have my, you know, biggest posts on LinkedIn, my, my, you know, the times when I've grown my connections the most have been when I've just spent a lot of time sending one-to-one -one messages to people that I think are really interesting. And just to add to the commenting part, 
whenever you leave a comment, don't forget to tag a person because sometimes you just leave thanks and that's yes. it, but you need to tag a person and then the thanks. That would increase the viewership as well. Great. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So these are interesting tips, by the way. We figured them out just by our sweat and pain, by, you know, testing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope some of your listeners have, uh, don't have to learn the hard way like, like I did as well. Colin, I appreciate you taking the time chatting with me. Uh, my last question would be, can you give me the most hilarious kind of situation or something that happened with you where you were, you know, recording the podcast or webinar about the, the people that a person that was running a show with you or something that was like super hilarious? Yes, I can. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is one time I was hosting a webinar and I was a little sick and I was a little out of it. And I accidentally, I and the guest joined the webinar about 15 minutes early and we don't go live. We use that time to do last minute prep or shake out the cobwebs, get excited for the content, check audio visual. But I accidentally clicked and made us live early. And then a few attendees joined early. So they were watching us prep. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, like there's people watching us right now. It was a little embarrassing because they were seeing some of the behind the scenes, but it ended up being really fun. And what we did was, you know, we had a conversation with them and uh, I asked a question that I like to ask at parties, which is, all right, Michael, you're standing on a 10 meter high dive and you have to dive off of it into the pool below. If you survive, you get to keep what is in the pool and you get to decide what to fill the pool with. So what would you put in the pool? And, you know, like people try to think of really expensive liquids. So if they dive off and they survive, they get to keep all this expensive stuff right. in the pool. The best answer that I got actually was horseshoe crab blood, <laughs> which is a little, you know, it's gross. Right. But apparently they, they use it to like test, do lab tests for diseases uh -huh. or something like that. And it's really expensive. It's like $63,000 US a gallon. So you know, in a pool, that's like, I don't know, $6 billion or something like that. There were some um, kind of smart people there with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It spurred some, some kind of interesting conversation that like, that would never have happened if I didn't mess that up. But it was nice. Like a lot of people messaged me on LinkedIn after that. And I think they appreciated getting a little bit of a real moment with us where we weren't just presenting. We weren't in present presentation mode. We could just be real people with them and kind of hang out and talk about weird stuff. So do, do you ever have funny like, moments? I, I, I do have a lot of funny moments, probably because I am just new in this, you know, so I'm just starting. So that's why I wouldn't I'm, have guessed. I'm fucking up, you know, every, every few, <laughs> every time. But, um, I think that, uh, right now people need someone or need to listen or read the content, which is created by people who live in it mm -hmm. or just yeah. be genuinely driven by a mission or something instead of, taking it very seriously and professionally, right? So yeah. that's why whenever we personally create a blog post or case study or anything, we are doing that for, for our team to read, to get insights from and to listen to, to enjoy it. And then we just post it for everyone else to share. And sometimes whenever I do something, some, any kind of content, I usually post a lot of stuff, a lot of insights that people feel like, okay, Mike, you are taking away a lot of stuff that is kind of personal for the company. Don't you think that your competitors will see that? And I always say, listen, guys, 
the next month we figure out something else, something new, and then we can post that. And the next month, something new as well. So you no, know, the competitors will not keep up with us. That's why we usually tell a lot of you know shit about the, our operation, about the hiring, about the onboarding mm-hmm. process, send the templates, and yeah. So that's probably you know the way it works. I, I think that's super smart. And uh, I mean, two things, right? Like if if you share a secret. And your competitor goes, ooh, I really like that. I want to do that too. That means they're chasing you, which is exactly what you want. Because that means they're always behind you. And the other thing is, they can't compete with you on authenticity. If you're the one that's being real and like people feel like they can approach you, that's an immediate advantage. And that can't go understated. It's not going to show up in the books or the spreadsheets, right? Like right. you can't measure that. Just everybody knows that's what you want. That's what you want from a company that you work with. Just an example of the original content. If you go to our blog, you'll see that every blog post, we add a, 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 a photo or a picture to support the blog, like a profile, a preview picture, right? And every picture yep. is handmade and every has a kind of uh, a more kind of futuristic way of explaining what we put on the article. There is no kind of headlines. So from the marketing perspective, you would say that, hey, Belkin sucks because like, you know, they don't put anything that would tell the reader what the article is about. But if you go and see the way the, the structure, we structure the picture and with all those lines and futuristic way. And, you know, for example, if we want to explain the cold calls, so we put a fridge and then we put the telephone in the fridge and that's the cold calls. Yeah. You know? A lot of the, the, the people that read our blog, they say that it's super hilarious and they love to see the very first or very new picture that we post with our next article. And everyone is unique and we have a dedicated illustrator to come up with this crazy idea for every post. And I think that this would be one of our kind of advantages compared to other companies that post, right? And this is something that will be kind of growing and developing, even though from the marketing perspective, it's not the best kind of tool set or something. So, you know, if you just continuously invest in the things that move a metric, then different, right? Because your competitors are doing the same thing. They're investing in things that move metrics. But if you get creative and do things like you guys have those really cool images on your blog, yeah, that's genius. I love that. All right. So, Colin, we need to wrap this up. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to share, like a tip or an idea or an advice for people who are going to be listening to this? So it varies by audience, right? But the one thing I will say is Sales Hacker is a, is a B2B sales community for every sales professional. So if you're an SDR, an account executive, a sales leader, doesn't matter the size of your company, if you're in operations or what there's something for you on Sales Hacker. So my advice would be go check it out and see what you can learn. Join a webinar or two, subscribe to the newsletter. And uh, you know, if you like it, stick around. If you don't, that's okay. But we really hope, we're, we think we're pretty good at helping people pick up some skills, learn the newest best practices, techniques, and tools that you can use to make right. your uh, sales career more successful. Right. So saleshacker.com, just go check it out. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Belkin's Growth Podcast and found it useful. Be sure to subscribe and catch upcoming episodes on iTunes and Stitcher.